Hi, Dan. Hey, Katie. Welcome to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may not have heard of. How are you doing today, Dan? Not too bad. I'm pretty brain dead. Work is wiping me out. I shouldn't be this tired. I work from home. I feel like working from home is much, much worse. Mm. I'm much more tired. My exciting news from work is that I get to go in next week for a whole day on my own. Yes, I'm going to have the whole library to myself. That's quite nice, actually. Yeah, it's amazing. I am... I've got lots of like inquiries to do. So part of my job is some people will email in with genealogical inquiries. Mm -hmm. And so part of my job is to kind of look up in our index whether or not they belong to the company um, and then kind of let them know what year they join the company, etc. And you think that that's like an every now and again occurrence. But because we've been working from home for so long, I've got like 20 of these now. Because people are like, oh, what can I do while I'm at home? Oh, I'll just research my family history. (laughs) I should have done that. Damn it. I was going to ask you, do you have any exciting ancestors that you know of? Uh, Like my great uncle did. Um, a little bit of research before, and he they he was meant to pass the research down on like down to me, but uh, it seems that I don't know. I think we got hold of it at some point, and then my parents have lost it, which is annoying. You should do it online, like ancestry.com dot com or yeah. Past, I like ancestry. It's got nicer like trees. Yeah. But um, my granddad did most of the work for me, so he kind of did um his side of the family, his mum's side of the family, mm-hmm. um. The Chapmans, yeah, which is like a bit their their like maiden name, yeah. my great grandmother's maiden name, and um, he found out that we are related. One of my ancestors was killed by Jack the Ripper. Oh wow, Annie Chapman, yeah. So that's my Crazy. claim to ancestry fame, <laughs> geological <laughs> um, fame. Apparently, uh, one of our ancestors was a Lord Mayor of Portsmouth, I think, but then he was caught smuggling, so he was hung from one of those cages. Uh, oh above, uh, awesome i mean not like, awesome for him but yeah. like but it's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> like david blaine <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a rubbish pirate didn't actually yeah. go to sea or do anything but did a bit of smuggling and got like a pirate punishment so i'm guessing this cool. is the side from england not the side from hong kong <laughs> yeah, this, like... yeah this is a cool <laughs> um i don't know much about my like hong kong side because i know my uh great-grandmother the woman who raised my mum in Hong Kong. She was Japanese and she was a Japanese translator for the Imperial Army in China. Wow. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And and strange. Awesome. <laughs> what have you been up to apart from work? Uh just watching lots of the Americans. I've nearly finished that now. Yeah. Find something else to watch after that. Oh I watched the Tolkien film actually. That was pretty oh, good. Oh did you? Was it actually good? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I missed it and I, I kind of I'm a bit wary of films that depict people that I'm like so that I idolize so much. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, because I didn't, I actually didn't watch the Stephen Hawking film for ages. I but I actually, that. the Theory of Everything, I actually did watch it, and it was pretty good actually. So mm. yeah, I was pretty like pleased with that one. But yeah. yeah, maybe I'll give that one a go. I watched a film called Misbehavior. Um, it's one of those ones that are supposed to come out in the cinema, but obviously. It didn't because we're in lockdown. So mm-hmm. it's like a buy one time on Amazon Prime thing. Yeah. And it's got Kira Knightley in it. And it's basically about the 1970 Miss World pageant, which was held here in the UK. And um, and the protest against it from the Women's Liberation Front. 
was the beginning of the Women's Liberation Front, basically. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and they protested the... Um, they kind of got, got tickets to go in. It's a real story. Got tickets to go in to the, the Miss World pageant. And it was interesting because it also had an element of, like, um, stuff to do w- with racing as well because mm. the... South African, obviously, apartheid was going on at this time. Um, well, all the way up until is it ninety four? Yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah, and basically, the contestant from South Africa was supposed to be white, and there was a big kind of hoo ha about why have you never had a black contestant? So they actually added a black contestant from South Africa as well. So they oh, had really? South Africa and Africa South. Yeah, and then they also had one from Geneva as well who was, yeah, obviously Caribbean. Mm. So that was a really interesting aspect of it. And I really loved the story. I mean, it wasn't like an amazing cinematic masterpiece, but it was a really great story about, you know, women's liberation. And right at the end, it had a little thing that said, the fight against the patriarchy is ongoing. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, it is. (laughs) So that that was a nice little film to rent for... I think it was like three forty nine or something. Oh wow! I'll have to check it out at some point. Yeah. Add it to the list. <laughs> the ever growing list. <laughs> I never get to watch all the films I want to watch. I'm definitely gonna die before that happens. Yeah, and all the books as well. Yeah. I feel like it's a, a big shame for some of the classics that I haven't read that I already know the ending of them. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, definitely. There's so many books that I know the ending and. I wish I didn't, like um, Anna Karenina. Yeah. Which I've never read, and I'm sure I will read it at some point. It's like on their list, but I know what happens to her, yeah, and I'm not going to say it out loud because, <laughs> like, I don't want to ruin it if anyone doesn't. Also, the murder of Roger Ackroyd, which is uh, one of the Agatha Christie's. Yeah. I know who the murderer is, and it's one of the more original <laughs> ones. And my mum ruined it for me, and I have this amazing memory. I'm not never going to forget it. And I just, I'm so, like, annoyed. <laughs> Yeah, it's just going to be impossible to, like, escape escape spoilers of, like, classic novels. It's impossible <laughs> yeah. in this day and age to escape any spoilers. When, when The Force Awakens came out, I had a little Chrome extension. Yeah. That would, every time I opened a web, uh, like a web page, it would it would come up with a little lightsaber if there were spoilers on the page. <laughs> I'd be like, there nice. may be spoilers on this page. Because I didn't see it, I saw it, um, I saw it on day two at yeah. four in the morning so i was still one of the first people to see it yeah but you know i could have easily i wasn't like the first people to see it yeah um and i was and i didn't want to watch like i didn't want to see any reviews i just wanted to bask in the glory yeah Sorry, like anytime i just open google on my phone it just comes up with like articles i might be interested in and they're always it's always spoiling something i want to watch yeah, exactly. It's like something happens, or like the winner of report or whatever. Yeah. Which I, I, I took a couple of days. Took me a couple of days to like get around to watching it, and I knew who was going to win in my head, but I managed to somehow avoid spoilers. <laughs> and and I was like, well, it was the person I thought was going to win, but still, like, I would have been annoyed. Yeah. If if I'd found out. Yeah, and there's just like more and more things that are going to be spoiled for like children and stuff, like Harry po- Harry Potter. It's oh, everywhere. Yeah. Or like Northern Lights is now it's, it's a TV show, and, yeah. or The Hunger Games are now films, yeah. and all these amazing like, and and Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. I know that you know a lot of kids or young people will probably watch the films before they read the books, 
That makes me really sad, Dan. Yeah, but there was like <laughs> uh, there was spoilers just in the casting of uh, of Lord of the Rings. Had Sean Bean in it, so obviously Boromir was going to die. <laughs> obviously, he dies <laughs> in like, everything. Oh, Sean Bean's in it. Boromir's dead. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> He dies in everything. <laughs> have you seen oh. seen the uh, Sean Bean death reel on YouTube? I think I have, yeah. It is fantastic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love the way Christopher Nolan, he hasn't been like, I'm putting it off. He's just like, my film is coming out on the 17th of July. If you can't get to it to see it, that's your own fault. <laughs> 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 I just give a fuck. Fair play. Fair I play can't, to I've man. seen, did I tell you that I've seen the first like seven minutes of the Christopher Nolan film. Really? How did you, yeah. you get? So basically we went to see the latest Star Wars at, at Christmas time yeah. um, with me and Paul and my cousin, yeah. Emily. And um, we when we saw the last Star Wars film, or the first Star Wars film, I think actually, of the new ones, mm-hmm. we got the first seven minutes of Dunkirk. So we were like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we were not thinking we were actually going to get the first seven minutes of it. And then the person comes out, because it's at the BFI IMAX, Mm -hmm. which is where we always see them, and it comes out and they introduce the film and they say, but before we show you Star Wars, and as soon as she said that, me and Paul freaked out. We grabbed each other's hands and we were like, (laughs) oh my God, we're actually going to get the first seven minutes. And she was like, we're showing the first seven minutes of Tenet. The new Christopher nice. Nolan film. And I literally nearly cried. I can't even tell you <laughs> how excited I was. And it was amazing. It's like this kind of espionage action thriller. So nice. it's something slightly different to what he's done before. And we both... It looks... The first seven minutes were fantastic. So Yeah, from what I've read about it, it sounds incredible. Yeah. And they've released a new trailer. So you should go and watch Sweet. the new trailer. I will do that. Um, why don't you tell me about your person? Ah, good plan. I will. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever heard of... I hope you've heard of him. Charles Kennedy. <laughs> of course I have. <laughs> I love him. Oh, his, I loved him. It was the like, fifth anniversary of his death last week, so I figured I should do oh, him. That's a, cool. I didn't know that. I felt like I should, I should celebrate his life. Yeah, I think he's a good one to celebrate and learn more about because what I know about him is, is his policies. I don't yeah. really know about his like personal life, so it'd be good. Well, apart from, obviously, the big parts of his personal life that everyone yeah. knows about. But um, we'll get to that, I'm sure. Right. So, he was born the 25th of November, 1959, in Inverness, to Mary and Ian Kennedy. Uh, he had a Roman Catholic upbringing. Uh, he uh, attended Lochaber High School, a comprehensive school, which I like. I mean, yes. the amount of leaders uh, politicians around this country who are all privately educated that yep. makes me like him a lot um he seems to have had a happy childhood and was extremely close to his parents at the age of 15 he joined the labor party yay well that's it's the thing to do if you're on the left join labor and then exactly fear left fear lefter <laughs> <laughs> uh he studied at glasgow university where he received a degree in politics and philosophy Mm, yay so like ppe but without the economics yeah yeah. between 1980 and 1981 he was president of the glasgow university union uh the students union yeah here he showed his skills for oratory joining the dialectic society and winning the observer mace in 1981 he defected to the newly formed social democratic party 
It's partly because he saw the Labour Party of the 80s as less about realising individual potential and more about levelling down. Also, he was unhappy with Labour's divided stance over Europe at the time. Upon a graduation in 1982, Candy went to work for BBC Scotland as a journalist. Uh, he later received a Fulbright Fellowship which allowed him to carry out uh, research at Indiana University in the United States. Oh, wow. I didn't know he went to the state. I don't know what the research was for, because he didn't have a PhD or anything. Maybe it was just like, yeah, some sort of... Um, they did put out like research, just research jobs sometimes. Yeah, so, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 1983, he received uh, the nomination to stand for the seat of Ross, uh, Cromarty and Skye then held by Tory Hamish Gray. He won the seat with a 1,704 majority. So at this time, he was still only 23. So that made him the babe of the house. 23 to be like a, wow, an MP is, that is young. quite crazy. Yeah, because they have someone right now who is 21. Is that right? Or yeah. She's, she might be 22 by now, but I know when she won her seat, she was 21. But that's, that is super young. Yeah, M- Mira yeah. from the SNP. Yeah, yeah. She's great. I like her. Yeah, she's brilliant. Like she's got such a <laughs> incredible force of personality. I could never have been an MP. I could be an MP now, but definitely could have been one at twenty three. No, twenty one. De- <laughs> slight my no. I'm not doing it. Sorry, I don't want. I don't want posh white men shouting at me. That's just yeah. Not... <laughs> he was apparently so surprised at his victory that upon winning, he had to ask whether MPs were paid. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, it might just be like a voluntary thing. Stood out on the they side. Paid, they paid they? pretty well. <laughs> um, maybe not this time, but yeah, they're paid. <laughs> That's so, funny. I like that. So he's promoted uh, pretty quickly. Um, he served on the Social Services Select Committee from 1985 to 1987, uh, and then he retained his seat in the 1987 election. Uh, but by 1987, those heady days when it seems the SDP were destined to overtake Labour as the main voice of social democracy in Britain were over. So, Candy was one of the first uh, SDP MPs to back the Liberal SDP merger in 1988. As such, he was essentially one of the founding of the Liberal Democrat Party. Woohoo! <laughs> A sometime uneasy political alliance between the two traditions. Charles Candy always stood on the Social Democratic wing. He moved to the front bench in 1989. Um, Yay, the year I was born! Oh, yeah. He was like, oh, Katie's just been four, born. Then. Better move to the front bench. <laughs> This meant he was able to help the new Lib Dem leader, Paddy Ashdown, um, former coherent ideology for the fledgling party. He had a couple of portfolios, uh, health from 1989 to 1992 and the foreign and commonwealth affairs until 1997 after mm-hmm. retaining his seat in 1992. He was also the president of the party from 1990 to 1994 and Liberal Democrat spokesperson for the office of the leader of the House of Commons from 97 to 99. Despite his prominent position in the party, he was prone to exasperate the hyperactive party leader Ashdown with his determined lack of application, his lack of seriousness, and his lack of punctuality. (laughs) (laughs) He actually said that he kind of hated being an MP. (laughs) He He was just confused. I thought this was a a voluntary position. I don't know. (laughs) There's like aspects of it he really likes, and there was just other aspects that he just couldn't be bothered with. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's like, like every well. single job, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way. I'm sure that I would love being an MP and the fact that I get to like 
boss people about, but <laughs> I would hate all the parts where I had to make decisions. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Yeah, he hated decisions. He hated like having to like manage anything. He liked like the political discussion and like uh, in general, kind of like the big ideas of it all. But like when yeah. it came to the detail, he was just like, no, <laughs> I can't be bothered. <laughs> no. <laughs> Later, Ashdown described Kennedy as the best of us when on song and on form. Kennedy's also. Uh, well known for his uh, quips and quotes. In 1998, he said, Paddy Ashdown is the only party leader who's a trained killer. Although, to be fair, Mrs. Thatcher was self-taught. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. That's brilliant. They should put that on like a little German cat poster. They should. That should be yeah. on there, yeah, on our, our uh, membership cards. <laughs> <laughs> so, now let's go on to his leadership of the Lib Dem. So he decided to launch his campaign for party leadership upon Ashdown's retirement in 1999. He won 57% of the vote under the alternative vote system that we have in our party. Uh, his leadership style would become to be described as conversational and companionable, and he was frequently lauded as having the common touch. One commentator said, That open, untamed personality gave him personal appeal, the kind of politician you could imagine meeting in a pub and enjoying a drink or two with. Though he was not a great organiser and not a stickler for policy details. Uh, <laughs> That's probably it's... something you want in your leader. <laughs> Organisation and policy. It is true. He was happy to focus on the big judgments while letting others to deal with the minutiae. Uh, his appearances on Have I Got News For You led him uh, to gaining the moniker Chacho Charlie. He would have been a much better uh, host of the the game show known as Brit Great Britain <laughs> than the current yeah. host we've got. <laughs> Oh gosh! Similar hair. Well, not really like the same hair, but like that kind of they both mes- got messy. Yeah, but they he doesn't. Boris does it on purpose. <laughs> In the 2001 election, Kennedy's first as the party leader, but he won 52 seats, making it making a six seat gain on 18.3 percent of the vote with a 1.5 swing. I can't even imagine that right now. Yeah, like I know. 52 seats, that's huge. I know, we were so impressive at that point. I can remember it. Glory like days, the glory days. No, hang on, <laughs> this is 2001. One, yeah. So I, like I did vote in that one. Yeah. I voted in the next one. Um, yeah. So yeah, it wasn't a bad result. It was, it was smaller than the 25.4 vote share the SDP Liberal Alliance had achieved in 1983. But that only won the party 23 seats because the system is broken. Yeah, first past the post is the absolute worst system. Yeah, it's crazy. It's the worst. And also people don't vote as well. Yeah, exactly. For the they stupidest don't think reasons. Like... People don't vote. Some people don't vote out of principle. Yeah. Some people don't vote because they can't be bothered. Yeah, because they're just like, I'm not going to get the person I want anyway, so what's the point? Mm. Or... And then... Well, you're obviously be... not going to get the person you want because everyone thinks like that. <laughs> I think it, in Australia, or maybe even France as well, they have a thing where you have to turn up, but you can tick a box that says, I don't want any of these candidates. Yeah. Which I yeah, think is a better Australia, system. Isn't it? Yeah, that is a much better system. Because then it's like, okay, now we know how many people genuinely didn't want any of the candidates. As a Lib Dem leader, he generally tried to position the party uh, to the left of Labour. His policies were generally more redistributionist than Tony Blair's. He called for a 50% tax rate on those who earned 100000 or more. He called for the abolition of council tax and its replacement by a local income tax based on income. Progressive tax would benefit lower earners, but one that Art Labour would uh, argued would hurt middle and higher earners. 
but that's the point. <laughs> he... yeah, he's like, um, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> he plans to put ex- uh, the extra tax take into education, promising the abolition of tuition fees. Ooh. Yeah, that Top went subjects. really well. Top subjects. <laughs> uh, oh. Lower class sizes and 21,000 new primary school teachers. You also promised free eye and dental checks, cheaper prescription charges, and a state-funded personal social care service. Yeah, I think that some of those things are just so... They sound like so... They just We just need them. But yeah. free dental checks, free eye checks. Like, yeah. Some people can't afford these things, and people that are on low income exactly, really so need fundamental. them. Like, that's just... It's just obvious. And also, you know, did he have policies on private education? Uh, I can't remember now. I think so there was. Okay. I think it, there, you know, there was something about him yeah. being against private education, which obviously I am. Yeah. He also stood up for asylum seeking rights, strongly opposing the indefinite detention without trial in Belmarsh for immigration detainees. He also wanted to find a practical way of ending imprisonment for non-violent offenders. He also opposed ID cards. That whole fiasco when it was going on. Yeah, what was that about? Yeah, I know, it's insane. Uh, he wrote in The Guardian, Liberal instincts focus on the freedom of the individual and keeping a vigilant eye on the encroaching powers of the state while promising protection for the most vulnerable in our society. In this global and technocratic age, our internationalism is welcome. We support the UN and our pro-Europeans. We are committed environmentalists and pro-public services. We are we favour honesty and fairness about tax. If taxes for the wealthiest need to go up, we say so. He also, of course opposed the invasion of iraq which is the most important thing that probably happened in his whole like tenure yeah completely like i mean that's not that's obvious it's the, it's yeah. the most important thing that happened yeah during yeah. The time there. and this is one of the reasons why i love him yeah this is the reason why i joined the party and i've never left despite all the crap they've done it to me they're, they're always going to be the party the only party that that opposed a war that has screwed the entire not just the region but the entire world like so many the like so many problems which are like that the ripples that that invasion has has like caused all right i'm gonna pl- i'm gonna play his speech to the um stop the war to, to the uh, his speech to the protest to the uh to the anti-war rally so i've joined you here today and i've been asking these questions for months in parliament because i'm not persuaded by the case for war the arguments have been contradictory and inconsistent and the information has all too often been misleading as well as inconclusive. It's no wonder that people are scared and confused. I say this to you quite seriously as somebody who personally happens not to be a pacifist but has the utter respect for anyone for grounds of conscience who is. As somebody who's not actually anti-American, but is deeply worried by this Bush administration. And as someone who is under no illusions about the brutal dictatorship and the appalling regime, which is Saddam Hussein. But I conclude by returning to the United Nations. If the great powers of the world ignore it, then great damage will be done to the world order and the best hope of international justice for everybody in the world. And without a second United Nations resolution based on authoritative fact 
from the Weapons Inspectorate, I can assure you there is no way in all conscience that the Liberal Democrats either could or should support a war. And we will not. So again, he led the party to unequivocally oppose the war. Uh, he was not did, convinced... um, did the whole Liberal Democrat, Democratic Party vote against the war? Yeah, I think one person might have abstained. Uh, yeah. He wasn't convinced by the intelligence and we- uh, weapons of mass destruction. He believed that even if there were weapons, it would be far better to see them dismantled before a UN ex- inspector than precision bombed and all the chaos and carnage that would cause. Precision bombed in inverted commas, obviously. Yeah, which is like completely inaccurate and killed a lot of innocent yeah, people. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I still use that goddamn term now. He was utterly against the US doctrine of regime change crafted by Cheney and others, despite recognizing, despite the fact that he did recognize Saddam Hussein to be a brutal dictator. He foresaw the chaos and destabilizing effects such an invasion would have not only on the region but on the wider world, whereby the UN and the internationalism it represented be forever damaged, which it is now. Like, mm-hmm. international organizations have like had their reputation destroyed right by this like we're seeing it now this is a continuation it's just kind of like that was those were the this was like caused the cracks and now those cracks have just started to yeah to worsen it's crazy yeah and it's nice to hear someone say like i am not a pacifist Mm. but i still don't see the like i am not anti-war yeah i'm anti this war yeah because they're like the the reasons are not good enough yeah, the damage, the ha- the the damage will cause be... is worse than the good it's going to do. The, the reasons need to be like, it's join the war or, you know, literally the world is going to fall apart. Yeah. Like World War II. Like, exactly, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I would call myself a pacifist for mm. sure. And that's, you know, I, I do think that I believe in conflict resolution. Yeah. And I just think that that Iraq war was, it was my political awakening yeah because totally. we were we were te- teenagers and it, i was on the front of a local newspaper protesting yeah. the war and that oh, was wow. I, I was like looking at myself like yeah this is something i really believe in and that was like the first thing that i knew that i believed in so yeah anyway go charles kennedy basically yeah but for this he was branded by most of the british press and by the house of uh Commons as a coward at best and a traitor at worst but he does sound vindicated now because the ripple effect caused by that war has been long and lasting and yeah it's it's an appalling effect on the middle east and across the world and it's indirectly at least led to the sort of demagoguery that you see in trump and the clown politics that we're seeing in the uk under boris i feel like i should be <laughs> getting this political <laughs> it's gonna turn people off but i can't help it, it it's it is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, despite the party's opposition to the war, they were careful to show that attitude did not extend to the troops themselves who were just there doing their job, however wrong that job was. Under the orders of, of the government and the opposition party who voted in favour of that war, he wrote in The Guardian that we must be confident that our troops are not being asked needlessly to undertake impossible tasks at unacceptable risk to their lives. While pictures of service people who became casualties adorned the cover of every newspaper, I mean, I seem to remember very little space being dedicated to those Iraqi lives that were being lost during the during the, that war. Mm. Still getting, being lost. Um, and I can't really remember any people really talking about it, except for Charles Kennedy. 
He pointed out that Iraqi deaths and injuries far exceeded those of British service personnel, writing, it is, an, it is outrageous that no record is kept of the number of Iraqis killed. We simply do not know how many have died since the occupation began. In future, each time a citizen of Iraq is struck, there should be a full investigation. He ended his article with a paragraph that I think is incredibly pertinent today with everything that's going on. We are no longer a nation of one church or one family structure or one colour. And if political parties are to stay relevant, they must reflect those changes. In In the 2005 election, under his leadership, the party won 62 seats. A gain of 11 on 22% of the vote, a swing of around 4%. It wasn't wow, bad. Nice. Good climb. Yeah. It's always good to win win seats off. Well, hopefully that was off the Tories. Yeah, it was mainly off Tories. But then again, I mean, at that time, Labour wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I would not have been a Labour member at that time. So, so let's go on to his ousting. So, Kennedy had kind of always been known for enjoying a drink. Uh, so there's a disagreement as to like how much this actually affected his work. Some claim it made him unpunctual and unreliable, while others believe that was just his laid-back personality, which was the very thing that made him and the party popular. So yeah. it's kind of like... Yeah, it's, Maybe we uh, should yeah, have someone else who enjoys <laughs> drinking. However, there have been telltale saying that perhaps there was a problem. In July 2002, Jeremy Paxman publicly apologised after asking Kennedy about his drinking in a television interview. He missed crucial debates on the Iraq war in 2003 and after the 2004 budget, which were linked to rumours of a drinking problem. At the manifesto launch on his first day back on the campaign trail after the birth of his child, Kennedy struggled to remember the details of a key policy, which was probably unfairly blamed on drink, considering he had just had a kid. But On the 6th of January 2006, Kennedy was informed that ITM would be reporting that he had received treatment for a drink problem. This had been leaked by the party. That is, is pretty grim. Yeah. Grim, yeah. He decided to preempt the broadcast, called a sudden news conference, and made a personal statement that over the past 18 months he had been coming to terms with a drink problem, but had sought professional help. He told reporters that recent questions among his colleagues about his suitability as leader were partly as a result of the drinking problem, but stated that he had been dry for the last two months and would be calling a leadership uh, contest in which he would stand to resolve the issues surrounding his authority once and for all. Unfortunately, the admission of a drinking problem seriously damaged his standing and 25 MPs signed a statement urging him to resign immediately. It wasn't really urging him, actually. The statement... The MPs uh, in the statement, the MPs said that they would not be prepared to serve under under him after the weekend if he did not quit. So it wasn't it wasn't an urge. They just demanded his yeah, and I guess twenty five out of what sixty two. Exactly, that is, yeah, that's, that's a huge much. amount. Yeah. On the seventh of January two thousand six, two thousand six, Kennedy recalled another press conference at which he announced that while he was buoyed by the supportive messages he had received from grassroots members, I did. Um, he felt that he could not continue as leader because of the lack of confidence from the parliamentary party. He said he would not be a candidate in the leadership election and was standing down as leader with immediate effect. He also confirmed in his resignation statement that he did not expect to remain on the Liberal Democrat front bench team. He pledged his loyalty to the new leader as a backbencher and said he wished to remain active in the party and in politics. His leadership had lasted slightly less than six years and five months. In 2004, a group of right-leaning Lib Dems from the Whiggish liberal tradition, including Vince Cable, Nick Clegg, Chris Hume and David Laws, as opposed to the Social Democratic wing that Kennedy represented, published The Orange Book. 2005 saw their ascension not long after the stories about Kennedy had been conveniently placed in the press. Mm. Nick Clegg would go on to describe Kennedy's policies as statist. 
<laughs> now we move on to the coalition. So, Charles Candy was one of the only Lib Dem MPs, and so I see the only senior one to fully oppose the coalition. Yes. <laughs> He wrote in The Guardian, like many others, I was keen to explore the possibilities of a so-called progressive coalition, despite all the obvious difficulties and drawbacks. So he wanted a alliance with the Labour Party after that election. Yeah. And he was defeated on that matter. Uh, there was even talk of him defecting back to Labour, though that didn't happen. Unfortunately, he didn't always get it right during this period. However, he stood up uh, for his beliefs on two very important issues. He rebelled and voted against the government on capping benefit rises at 1%, and he voted against the rise in tuition fees. Yes, my man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like... I feel kind of bad because it do- it didn't affect me because it was, like, the year after yeah. I'd finished. So it was, like, the literally the year after I finished is the year that they went up. Yeah, yeah. But I, I feel, like, so angry about it still. Yeah. So well, angry just... about everything that went down. That was the first ele- general election that I voted in. After having represented his seat of Ross, Comrie and Skye for 32 years, he lost it in the general election on the 7th of May 2015. I remember that. I was... Uh, that that whole more, like night and morning when I was watching the results, I like had the TV on and I kept falling asleep and then waking up and falling asleep. And I happened to wake up just as he was losing his seat. Yeah, I... I- I was teared just, up a little bit for I it. was, I was really like, sad. oh my god, like, yeah, me too. I was like, this is... It was the same year that Ed Balls lost his seat, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, that same one, I was just like, I cannot believe... Though Ed Balls has made an absolute, absolutely legendary, like, career yeah. for himself. <laughs> <laughs> so he probably is, like, doesn't care. But still, like, I was like, wow, Charles Kennedy and Ed Balls, that's, that's huge. Yeah, it was interesting to realise that Ebbles is actually genuinely hilarious. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> if he came back now, he could probably become Prime Minister. Like, yeah, I'd vote for Ebbles. <laughs> Definitely. And, and Prime Minister Balls, amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> he would be the best host of the game show known as... <laughs> the game show known as Great Britain. Uh, he believed that letting go of its social democratic credentials would be suicide for the party, and he was proved right. Kennedy died on the evening of the 1st of June 2015 at his home in Fort William at the age of 55. Police described his death as sudden and non-suspicious. Following a post-mortem, his family announced that Kennedy had died of a major hemorrhage linked to his alcoholism. It's so Although, sad. He, did yeah. he have a... He was married, right? Yeah, he was, but and that children? marriage broke down uh, a couple of years before. Okay. I think, although he had a happy childhood, it's believed that he ba- suffered from but from bouts of depression. Which makes sense. Depressed people can be very good at hiding their depression behind a like a mask of warmth and, and gregariousness. <laughs> um, and often, but often that that requires some form of external support, such as drugs or alcohol. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a tragic, sad end. Such a brilliant, brilliant human being. He is remembered well. Uh, Kennedy, anyway. That was Charles interesting. Kennedy. It's like a nice little um, kind of politically focused one. There, we haven't yeah. had one of those really. No, we haven't, have we? We've done like politicians, but. Yeah, they're kind of like... They're usually wrapped up in the war. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Well, yeah, I enjoyed I, that. I enjoyed yeah. researching him. It was nice. Yeah, and I just... It, may, like, it makes me so sad remembering him because I really do think that him... He's one of the kind of last people that I really respected. Yeah. 
I, I not that not to say I don't respect uh, like a lot of people that are in Labour or Liberal Democrats right now, hmm. but I really like felt almost like emotionally connected. Yeah. Whereas I like, don't really feel, apart from Jeremy Corbyn and Keir yeah. Starmer, who I love with my whole heart, yeah. um, like you know, I don't really feel emotionally connected to any of any of the MPs right now. Apart yeah. from my amazing, amazing MP Meg Hillier, who I have met and campaigned for, and she's fantastic, and she just loves Hackney. So <laughs> I just like love her because she is so like devoted to our constituency. I think like yeah, researching here made me remember when I was like excited about being a member of a party like his, 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 his around starting as a war was just so yeah it was inspiring yeah and it was nice for sure you need to you need to stand up for what you actually feel is right yeah and whatever your party says i know it's really difficult like because you get whipped and that's something that you know you kind of almost have to when you join a party be like i'm gonna support you but yeah. at the end of the day, if you don't think it's right, I don't know how people can live with themselves. Because yeah. I, I can't even... Do you know what happened to me the other day, Dan? I stepped on a snail and I Ooh. nearly cried. If Matt hadn't been there, I would have actually cried because I was so upset. And I was like, oh no, what do I do? And he's like, there's nothing you can do. It's a snail. Like, yeah. we were just out for a walk and it was like a bit wet. And I was like, oh no, I stepped on a snail. And like, I can't emotionally i can't even step on a snail Aww. i don't know how people can vote for the for war and yeah these things like it just completely baffles me Aww. maybe i should well, want the snail front at least like a bird is gonna have some food the bird will probably eat it anyway well i really hope that he became like a slug you know how like when you step on a snail maybe oh yeah, yeah like a slug and then he just went and joined his like new slug family <laughs> that's what i really hope happened <laughs> we just found a new show like a little yogurt pot or something. That's like what Matt said. Matt, Matt was like, I'm sure he's found a lot of shells. I don't think that's how <laughs> it happens. Yeah, that's more like a... What are those little things called? They're like crabs, but they're... Are they just crabs? They find what? a new shell. Oh, maybe. Maybe crabs do find new shells. I don't know. I don't I know like much about crabs, of, to be honest. Special type of crab. <laughs> so I'm now doing you? a thinky face. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, this is Dan. He's like stroking his non-bearded chin. <laughs> I can't grow a beard. Until me neither. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> I cut Matt's hair today. It's my second oh, my nice. second cut of the How? lockdown. How's it looking? What sort of, it's looking uh, fresh. It's looking, it's looking fresh. What sort of uh, style are we, are we talking here? Well, he's he's very particular. It's like kind of short back and sides, but keeps the top really long. Because, you know, he's got like curls. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so keeps the curls and then like just a bit okay. of short back and sides. He's a perfectionist, so he was finishes it off himself. <laughs> I did the next shave, asked him where he was going on his holidays, all that kind of thing. <laughs> Nowhere, obviously. The living room. Um. So by the time next time we speak, shops will be open, right? Oh yeah, they will be. That's mental. Yeah. Well, we'll just shops will be open, but we'll just have to queue outside for about five hours. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going anywhere near TK Maxx or, no. <laughs> like, McDonald's or anywhere that will have, like, a huge, massive queue. Yeah. The only places I'm going are to charity shops, if they're I was, open. I've been happy ordering online. I've I've been happy ordering online for, like, the last few years, so... <laughs> I, I mean, like, I don't, I don't need to change that. Well, I get to Forbidden Planet, but that's about it. 
Yeah, I might cycle into Central at some point and just not not go in the shops, but kind of like look at the shops and yeah, be like, oh, look at that's the people nice. queuing it's outside open. the shops. <laughs> <laughs> look at that. Look at Primark. How nice. Um, yeah, and not actually go in them. <laughs> I'm wondering if there's going to be, if the pubs are going to open in time for our annual pub crawl. Probably not. Well, maybe. I don't know. End of July, beginning of August, maybe. Yeah. They said they'd open their beer gardens, but not the. Yeah, so okay, this is this is funny actually. So I heard at so at my work sometimes has like um social events. Yeah. And they're talking about how <laughs> when they re- when they start doing the events again, they're not gonna allow vertical drinking. What? So <laughs> So vertical drinking is where you're like standing up with like a glass of wine and a or a pint and like mingling. Because you're right, you have- vertical. So yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait, hang on a second. So, so you have to be laying down? So you have to be laying. I was like, because <laughs> I love horizontal drinking personally. <laughs> but are we, do we all have to like lay down on the floor? Like side by side? What? I'm really confused. So apparently maybe that will be a thing where you're not allowed to be vertically. You're only allowed to stand up if you're actually at- going to the bar to get a drink. The rest of the time you have to actually be sitting at a table, which is not going to work. No, it's gonna at make... all. That's not a pub. Yeah. That's my house. <laughs> you can do yeah, that exactly. in my house. <laughs> Just That's come to my house. That's a very expensive tinny drinking. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, but I just I ha- I laughed so hard at vertical drinking. <laughs> well, so hopefully funny. it'll be over by then. So go to the actual pub. So Dan, what are you cooking tonight? What uh, seafood pasta? Mm, again, that was With one a... about three weeks ago. <laughs> oh no, that's crab pasta. Oh, this is seafood pasta. Yeah, this is prawns and salmon in a creamy tomato sauce, a little bit of basil and some <laughs> uh, courgettes. And Ooh. it's going to be delish. Delish. Mm. Yeah, one of my specialities is like courgette and yellow pepper and you like fry it in butter and oil. Very nice. Like Very nice. And then you add it to... The pasta and you grate on some any you can pretty much use any kind of cheese i usually do it with goat's cheese and you put the goat's cheese in and you stir like really furiously and it becomes like a goat's oh, cheese nice. sauce yeah, yeah. Nice. that's not what i'm making today though today i am making pasta bake which is nice and easy you put the pasta in you put the sauce in you stir it put it in the oven done bish bash bosh very nice very so, nice yeah that's my tuesday because Tuesdays. I don't know. It's, maybe it's because Tuesday is my hump day because I only yeah. work Monday to Wednesday. So I can never be bothered to do anything on Tuesday. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, uh, yeah, there's no, oh, for me, like, the, the end is not in sight. Mm. Wednesday's worse, though, because that's just like, you can't remember the weekend anymore. And Wednesday's fine because I finished work on Wednesday. I don't yeah, it's, it's lucky for you. <laughs> Lucky for you. <laughs> yeah, though, actually, I really need a full-time job. So if anybody needs someone who is overqualified for every single job, let me know. Um, Where else have you got plans? I haven't really got any plans as such. I've got, I'm going to cycle to my friend's house on Thursday and drop off some some lush. And, yeah, and place it, like, on her front doorstep and then, like, run backwards. I thought I'm being especially get... careful with Vaya because she's pregnant, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... And what else am I going to do? Uh, yeah, and just like reading, blogging, writing. I finished the new Hunger Games book, so I put up a blog about that. Very nice. Um, yeah, watching some more movies that have come out. Obviously, watching some more Macbeth. 
<laughs> so everyone you'd go and listen to my other podcast which is called the scottish film which is about adaptations of Macbeth. and yeah also posting pictures on our instagram because i need to get it up to date so i will be doing that I need to send week. you those five facts. Yes. Need to send you those facts. Do send me all the facts. I've been trying to set up a blog myself, like about like uh like a travel blog, just about like historical sites and stuff you can go to. And I've been meaning to do it for ages. I started doing it on my own personal like Instagram while I was travelling and then people really liked it. So I was like, Okay, I'm gonna stop doing this now and set up a separate account and then I never did it. And yeah, that was fucking years ago that I decided I was going to do you that. You do have really to annoying. like actually post as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we should tell everyone where they can find us. Yes. So they can find us on Twitter <laughs> at, at Have You Ever Pod. That's it. And at, also Instagram. At the same. Yeah. At, at the same at. <laughs> and they can subscribe on spotify or apple Podcasts or actually other podcast places which i have not discovered where you're on so if you have like um, an android and you have other podcast apps we're on there too so subscribe wherever you are listening to this yeah wherever in all wherever. the places and thank you very I much mean, in multiple places go and do it on spotify and subscribe, the other places yeah on all the Just places <laughs> Okay, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.